so much for an opportunity to have a family conversation. You are the head of this home. You are the head of every home represented here. And we ask that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to say that so that you know that this is also a service. It's a full service. It's an anointed service. This is probably the most important service for somebody in particular based on your current situation. Amen. And why are we having this conversation, you know, and why are we doing it in the house of God? Because I believe that God is the center of every home. If he's not, he has to be. If he has been kicked out, he has to be brought back. Amen. Yes. So I believe that this will help us, you know. I believe that God is the person who gives us the blueprint to have a flourishing home. Do you get what I'm saying? It's nothing else. It's not money. It's not wisdom. It's not all the books you've read about marriage, about upbringing of children. It's not that at all. And I also believe that as Christians, we have to realize that you can't blame the Holy Spirit or blame Satan for everything. A lot of the things we ourselves, we know that if we hear the word of God, or hopefully if certain questions are answered, we will go and apply it so that our homes will be better. Everything that is going on in your household didn't start to get today. Everything progresses. You started insulting each other with, I don't like that. Get away, get away. Then you move to stupid, stupid. Then you move to foolish, foolish. Then very soon it became, you know, you fool. You're not cool. Then, you know, you go to different levels, different levels, you know. So, in the same way, when you see a home that's really nice, it didn't just happen. It progressed. How are you? I love you. Give me a hug. You know, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. You know, let's go out for dinner. You know, it's okay. Honey, don't cook. I'm okay. No, I'm doing the dishes today. It progressed. So did your laziness progress. So did your hard work in progress. <laughs> yeah. You know, I heard a statement that I thought you know, was so amazing. He said, what you don't work out, you will act out. So if you don't work out things that are not working in your home, eventually you act out in a very bad way. Do you get it? And I even realized that with our health, if you don't work out, you will act out. Forget it, forget it, forget it. We don't it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the reason why sometimes the home is a major thing is that you almost feel like the people you love that's not where you expect to have a battle. So it hits you unawares. Do you understand? When you go into the enemy's camp, you're already on guard. But where you feel that this is a place of love, this is a place of, you know, love and fun, you're not expecting that so it can take you off guard. You know, I believe that that's what happened to Eve, Adam and Eve, because in the garden, that was a place to be, a place, you know, God's garden. You are not expecting that you're going to fall there. Do you understand? And Satan will take you out. So let's welcome our very own Dr. Reverend um, Sam and his wife. <laughs> let's also welcome Pastor Kiran, my own son. Now let's put our hands together for our father, for our very own Reverend. The love of my life, you know what I mean? My cutie pie. If you are clapping, clap properly. 
Okay. So I, I believe that I'm the MC in this. I'm, I'm the MC. Okay. So we are just going to, first of all, as you can see, you're wondering what is the plan. Please take your seats. You're wondering what, how, how is this conversation going to work? Because, you know, we have, in the, amongst us, we have people who are married, single, parents. We have people who have children. We have people, you know, all kinds. So we are just going to try and touch on a couple of things. We want to have a perspective from in the home, you know, living with your parents, growing up with your parents, and your siblings and the challenges. And I believe that uh, Pastor Kiran will give us that perspective. And also a young family, you know, married, raising a child, just developing the marriage and everything from Reverend Sam. And then we will be here as backups. Reverend Zene. Yeah, so let's put our hands together for Pastor Kiran. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, so today I'm going to talk about we're talking, discussing a flourishing home, and I'm going to talk about it from the point of view of a flourishing home, having parents and then having siblings, not a wife because I'm not there yet, but we start off with where, I, where I'm at. No, no, we were praying about it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, in Psalms 115 verse 14, the Bible says, may the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. And I believe God is interested in the whole family flourishing, the whole family being blessed, growing, and in increasing. Amen. And not only that, God has also chosen to bless us through our families. And a lot of us aren't aware that we are blessed by the brothers we have, the sisters we have. We're blessed by our parents. Even if we don't agree with them or we don't like them per se, God has chosen to bless us through them. Uh, we read this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, when God was speaking to Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who, you, th I'll bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. So there are families of the earth, and they are going to be blessed. So he says, in you, not all the individuals of the earth will be blessed but the families of the earth will be blessed. Amen. So you're blessed by your family. Amen. And I'm just going to say from my personal experience growing up, the blessings that me have received. So there's a blessing that comes um, from your parents that is mysterious, but it's true. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, um, we are reminded that we are to honor our father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And the promise is that it will be well with us. And from the times where I haven't been honoring my parents, there's a level of difficulty. I don't know if you can relate with that. There's a level of difficulty and sh hardship that comes. And even though it isn't necessarily coming from them, it's linked that when you start to now honor your parents, when you start to now act accordingly, you know, now doors begin to open and blessing, it becomes well with you. So I think that's the first blessing that comes from your parents. The second blessing me personally have experienced is the blessing of borrowed experience. That you don't have to experience something. You can borrow it from them if you choose to. 
Amen. Yeah, because one thing in life is that life demands experience from us. So when you go for a job, they would like your experience. So even though you just graduated from uni, they expect you to have six years experience and five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Experience is always required. Even in the ministry, experience is required. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, not a novice. So experience is needed. Now, you have the benefit of getting experience through your parents. I believe King Solomon learned some lessons just from David alone. We understand the peace he had whilst he ruled over king as Israel. Amen. So life presents challenges and they require experience. With your parents, you get this experience. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, I'll just say two more things and then I think that's all. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, My child, listen when your father corrects you and don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Amen. I remember when I first got a car and mommy sat in the car for the first time. She told me, slow down, slow down. And I was thinking, why? Like, everybody else speeds this speed on this particular road. It wasn't until I got my first speeding ticket that I realized sometimes you should slow down. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes you should actually slow down. And when you're being corrected, the correction of your parents and the instruction of your parents is what will crown you with grace. It's what will make life easier for you. And from even personal things, I don't want to get too personal because then I get emotional, but from even things in my life that my parents have helped me with, I've realized that my life is further ahead and I've I've done more just by listening to their instruction. Even yesterday, um, my mother was trying to tell me something that I wasn't trying to hear. But as I sat in my car and I was processing what she was saying, I realized that there's a lot of sense in what she was saying. I don't know if she remembers. Yeah, she was, you remember, yeah. She was trying to tell me something that I really didn't want to hear, but it was true. Amen. So having parents is having parents that are able to advise you because it's not every parent that can advise their child. It's not every parent that can correct their child. Some parents have tried to correct their child. Their child has run away. But you realize for the child that runs away from correction, life becomes more difficult. Yeah. All right. And then I'm going to also talk about the blessing of siblings. Now, with your siblings, you receive the blessing of closeness. You have someone that is close to you. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man who has many friends must first be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, which implies that a brother is close. Do you know what I mean? And we all need people to be close to us. We need to have people who we can depend on, people who we can rely on. Amen. Yeah. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it talks about two being better than one because they have a better reward for their labor. If one falls, the other can help them up. You know, one can put to flight a thousand, two to ten thousand. Yeah, before you go and attach yourself to some lady or some guy, you have a brother or a sister who can help you to accomplish the same thing. I personally believe. So before you get up and you run away, it's better to take use to, to make use of your brothers because your brothers and your sisters are there for a reason. Your brother knows you very well. My sister knows me very well. In fact, the other day, last week, my neighbor told me some very distressing... Oh, we're online. I don't know if I can say it. 
my neighbor told me some very distressing news. The first thing I did was call my sister. We laughed for like 10 minutes about the distressing news. Because we understand how funny it is. You know what I mean? To everybody else, it's serious. But because me and her, we are not correct. We found it, we find it very funny. So we spoke and we laughed. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a blessing that comes from closeness. We can, we can share jokes. I think the love of a brother, the love of a sister, in fact, in my opinion, is better than the love of a woman. And even David said that. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. Because David, David said it. David said it to Jonathan in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. Is it on the screen? It says, how I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. So he's established, even though Jonathan wasn't his biological brother, he's become like a brother to him. He says, how I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep. Deeper than the love of women. Meaning that they are, they are love. <laughs> there are two types of loves. There's a love. You see, the love with your brother, you realize that there's nothing you get in return from it. There's no, it's not I give to get or I do to get back which often is the case in many relationships and many, but your love is, you love them just because. You can't delete them. You can't say that from today, we don't have the same blood. No, we have the same DNA. So the love is without, it doesn't come at any price. So I believe that we the unmarried people, amen? Amen? amen. amen. Are we here? Did we come to church today? Yeah. Before we look for love in relationships, and before we look for, look for love in partners, we should really take time to invest in the love we receive from our parents and the love we receive from our brothers and sisters because there are many blessings in that. Amen. Amen. I think that's all I have to say. Hallelujah. What a blessing. Amen. Yes, so I think we are talking about... Uh, my wife is a little bit surprised about the waiting. <laughs> because what I told her is, is yes, but it's, it's powerful. I'm talking on our behalf, so it's fine. <laughs> yes, so we are, yes, so we are talking about like early married life and uh, family also uh, like having children and all that. Yes. So it's, it's a blessing. I want to read about two or three scriptures. I think that will summarize everything I want to say. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 67, the New Living Translation says that, and Isaac brought Rebekah into his house, his mother's, his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him. After the death of his mother. Hallelujah. Amen. So you can see that Isaac really loved the mother. And you know, when the mother Sarah died, I think there was a gap that was left. But when Rebecca came into the scene, you know what uh, Pastor Kieran was talking about? I don't know how much about that one, but. <laughs> so the Bible says that he loved her deeply and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. You know, this book, Before You Jump, is a book that personally, I like reading it a lot because there's 
a lot of lessons that you can pick from. And when you read the book, it was forwarded by, I think, Bishop Poa. That's his name. When he was ending his forward, he wrote something. He said that marriage is God's idea, it's a God thing, and it's a good thing. And I thought that it is a very powerful statement that he made. It's a, it's a God's idea. No, now it's been mixed up all over. But marriage is a God's idea. It's a good thing. And it's what? It's a, a God thing. So one of the things that I want to say is that for, you know, one of the things that, especially if you are children and you grow up to see your parents, by the time you are a teenager and you see your parents, and it looks like everything is working for them. And I think one of the things that we miss out is that when they started, you were not even around in the first place. So probably you were in a, whether you were not born or you were in the womb or you were, you, were, you were like six months old. So those times that they were trying to find their feet is the stage that I think we find ourselves. Because, you know, whether you like it or not, dating is different from marriage. Uh, can you say it again? Mm-hmm. Dating is... Dating is very, very <laughs> Did I get Mr. Joe ring the bell? <laughs> you get it? Yes. You know, all the nights, all, all the nights, a date out, you know, you went out to a nice place to eat. When you came up, you were in your, your you, were, you were nicely dressed, the ladies make up, everything is all right. You, you never saw any blemish. It's like everything is on point. That is a movie story that you guys are putting up. But... When you begin to live together, the drama starts. The drama. You are acting. You are acting the, the stuff. So that's where Isaac's, Isaac's, <laughs> Isaac's uh, situation comes. I think one of the things that should really happen is that love for each other should be deep. You know, the, the, the last chapter in Reverend's book, Before You Jump, you know, you should always get something that you are living your life by, you know. You cannot be living your life by hearsay and uh, uh, folklore. You know, yesterday I went to a barbering salon and when they started talking about church, at a point I said, you know what, let me keep Because if I want to get myself in this conversation, we will argue till God come, nothing will change. You know, some people have some philosophies that you work with. And it doesn't, actually, this one. It doesn't really help sometimes. One of the things I want to say is that find something godly. Find a godly role model that you want to follow and it's going to help. Let me read two more scriptures. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 9, the Bible says, relish life with the spouse you love. Each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Amen. So you have to relish the moments. You get it. Has it always been fun? Always? No, not at all. No, 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 no. I can't, I can't be on the pulpit and say that we've been, we've been, we've been, we, this year we are married for six years. Right? You know? yeah. 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 And you know, you know, when you were doing counseling, Reverend kept saying that when you form a marriage, you bring your own culture. I never understood it till we, we really got married, you know, because you have to get your own culture as a family. And, you know, the culture is not necessarily the two of you coming from the same country or speaking the same language or no. 
It's about the two of you deciding what works for the two of you. You get it? Yes. And uh, trying to make room. Trying to make room and allow each other to grow. You get it? You know, certain things that you want, you want to change, sometimes it will not change in a moment. Some things that personally I want to change, I think it's still changing. It has not changed completely. And I also know that she also has certain things that she wants to Yesterday, <laughs> I, I was folding, <laughs> yesterday I was folding our son's clothes. I, I thought I'd done a perfect work. And I just, I just put them in the drawer. Then when she came, she said, I've always been teaching you how to fold clothes. <laughs> then you realize that even after six years, I'm still learning how to fold clothes. How much more? You get it? So there's, there's, there's so much, there's, there's so much that can, that, that, but one of the things that I, I want to end with it is that you must enjoy the process. You must enjoy the process. In the book of the Proverbs chapter 5 verse 18, the Bible says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Amen. And it goes on and on and on. So I think one thing I would say that it's a, it's, it's a good thing. Enjoy the process. Don't take life too seriously. You know, it's like everything. Everything should be solved by no. At some point, relax and just you know, be happy and enjoy it. And I know that it's going to be a blessing. I don't know if she wants to. Amen. 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 Um, I do agree with everything that he has said. Um, for us, um, as when we were first doing our counseling. Um, sometimes you're like, okay, you're so excited to get married. You listen to all the counseling. You're like, oh, but by the time you step into the marriage, it's completely different to as we, as my husband said. But um, one thing that actually stood with us, as the Bible said, that a threefold cord is not easily broken. Um, it's very, very important to keep God at the center of your marriage because your marriage will go through storms. It will go through situations. Um, you might even like, question yourself, but having God at the center of your marriage because sometimes you get so excited oh let's pray about the marriage and by the time you get into the marriage that's when okay god see you later but having god at the center that is what's going to bring you through that is what's going to keep you and also having that family altar i think it's so important because in our home you know we have that family altar even our son having our son we have that family altar as well with him you know coming together agreeing to pray you know, sometimes even doing that, it drives out some argument, some misunderstanding. You know, so many things in your home by just holding and sticking together and praying together. So that's what have um, helped us so far. Amen. Lastly, I want to say that, you know, Reverend's book, page 146, he says that, remember what caught your attention. Remember what caught your attention. Remember what caught your attention when you first met your spouse. I think, you know, it is, it is, it is a very powerful thing. <laughs> you know, you know, the first day that I met, I, actually the first day I met my wife, for, for those of you who don't know, I met my first here, here in church. The first day I met her, I met here in church. And there were so many things that caught my attention. And they are still catching my attention. Out. Hey! <laughs> so I think you know those things help. You know, you know it's, it's a very powerful thing. Yes. 
<laughs> Powerful. Amen. So we have heard from uh, a sibling who is not married. We have heard from a couple that are married. I, I want to talk about lessons that I've learned as a father. Nobody is born a father. You know, everything is learned. And what we learn as, as uh, people sometimes is as a result of the things that we saw. And sometimes what you saw was not good. So if you are going to use what you saw as a blueprint, you are likely to repeat a mistake. And, and so I just want to share a few lessons I have picked along the way as a father, and that is to help all of us, you know, to know all of us who are other potential fathers, who are all fathers, grandfathers, and uh, some who have fathers. There are some things that you must understand and you must know about them. So about nine, ten things I've learned as a father. Number one, the father is supposed to lead the home. Um, let me give you a background story of myself. Uh, when I was born from the age of one to about 12, 13, my father was at home. And so I grew up with my father. I saw him hands-on. By the age of 12, he disappeared from my life. Not that he had left, but he had to go away. And so from the age of 12, 13 till... I became a man. He was not present, if you know what I mean. So I've seen the side of growing with a father, and I've seen the side of growing with just a mother as the one doing both, both jobs. So I've seen, and I think I can talk for both parties, that the father must lead the home. I didn't see my father leading the home because he was not present. So my mother had to take that leadership role. And sometimes when you, you haven't seen a father lead and you go into a, a relationship as a young lady, you, you tend to want to do what your mother did. That was to lead. If you are a man who never saw your father in the home, you tend to lay, you know, be laid back hoping that the, the, the wife or the woman you are married to will take the lead. But the first lesson you must understand is that the father or the man has to lead the home. Amen. In Genesis 18, 19, it says, that for I have chosen him, that's God talking about Abraham, so that he would direct his children and his household after me, after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right, just so that the the, will, the Lord's will will bring about for, day, for Abraham what he has promised him. Hallelujah. So it's that I know that he will lead his family. So as a man, you must lead. Number two, the man must set the tone for the home. The man must set the tone. You know, when there are homes that are happy. There are homes that are serious. There are homes that are petty. There are homes that are about revenge. How many understand what I'm trying to say? say? There are homes. So what type of home do you want to build? I mean, I learned in my 
uh, as a as a husband growing up that what the the tone I set in the home is what really takes not what my wife said what I said as a man as a father is what happens if I'm a happy person the home will be happy if I'm a serious person the home will be serious if I'm a petty person some of us some men are very petty you know they always want to have the life you know like revenge they want to withhold they want to show that they are the one no if you are a happy person, your children will be happy. They'll be relaxed. If you're a relaxed person, they'll be relaxed. If you are too serious and too strict in a certain funny way, they also become that way. So you set the tone. So what type of tone do you want to have in your home? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I don't want to read all of it from verse 1 through to 9, but verse 7 says that you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So what you are doing, you are teaching your children. So if you are arguing with your wife all the time, you are teaching your children how to argue. If you throw tantrums all the time, you are teaching your children how to throw tantrums. If you are always vengeful, if you are always uninvolved. There are some men who are uninvolved. They are in the house, but they are not interested. They are interested in their uh, computer. They are interested in their football. They are, interest, they are always engaged in something and absent with the, with the family. You know, one thing that I've learned is that as a father, be engaged at home. Don't sit behind the TV when there's cooking in the kitchen. You know, I realize that even up to now, when I am in the kitchen cooking with her, the, the, the children will just come into the kitchen and find something to do around the kitchen, at, as old as they are, around the kitchen with us. Because that is what they see. I'm chopping onions or I'm chopping something, helping her. You see, he will jump washing the dishes or something so that it ends up being a conversation. We all cook and then we are eating. We crack jokes, we laugh. Are you with me? But it's a tone that I set. If she is cooking and I'm sitting watching TV or playing on my iPad or something, he will be in his room. Are you getting what I'm saying? So it's you are the one that will set the tone at the home. Whatever you set is what will carry. Number three. Be an example, an example to your wife and children. In Titus chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, it says, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, integrity seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So those who oppose you may, may be ashamed because they will have nothing bad to say about us. Hallelujah. So you see, if my example of being able to say sorry for a mistake I've made to my son or to my daughter or to my wife, it's, it's, it's an example of when you are wrong, say sorry. 
if I am wrong and I'm still trying to insist that what I've done is right, guess what? That is what example I'm giving and that is what they are going to do. Some of us, they, we saw the wrong example. We never saw our parents say sorry. Even, even if they are wrong, they will insist that you must come and apologize. By culture, by culture. Because uh, uh, the culture is that an elderly person is not, is not wrong, which is a very wrong thing in itself. Are uh, you get what I'm saying? But you as a man, you must learn how to change what you saw wrong growing up. Don't import it into your home. I never saw my father ever say sorry to anybody. But I've had to learn how to say sorry to my children and sorry to my wife. Because it's a lesson I am hoping that he, they will pick and take to their marriage. Am I making sense? Number, number four. A father must be an example of hard work for the family. You must work hard. Don't be lazy. If you are always skiving off work, your children will skive off school. Sometimes I've, I've had to work, look, get a job and do it, not because I needed the money per se, but so that the children will see they have the ethic of working. I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. Because it's, it's, it's whatever you create is what they will also take to their, um, emulate and take to their, their homes. That as a man, you must provide. You must work and provide. Hallelujah. Am I making sense? I'm not going to give you all the scripture. First Timothy 5, 7 to 8, you can um, look at it. And then number... Number five, bring laughter to the home. I never saw my father crack a joke for us to laugh. But my father is a world-class joker. He knows how to... Uh, he knows how to crack jokes for you to laugh. But for some reason, it was never for his children or his wife. I'm the opposite. I crack jokes every time at home. For everybody. And it makes the home, it reduces the temperature in the house. It brings everybody down. They know when I'm serious. They know when I have to say something serious. And they know when I... I am in my element cracking jokes. It makes everybody relaxed. So make sure you are somebody that sets that tone. Number six, listen to your children, especially your girl children. Don't be too busy to have conversations with them. The first man your daughter will ever fall in love with is you. If you are an abusive father, your daughter will tend to go towards abusive men. If you are a father that gives your daughter confidence, your, child, your daughter will have confidence in how to carry themselves. If you are able to compliment your daughters, tell them that, oh, you are looking pretty. I like your hair. I like the way you carry yourself. I like the way you are dressed. 
you know, hug them, tell them I love you. Once you do that as a father, they don't need compliments from anywhere else. They don't need another man to tell them I love you for them to feel gooey because they've heard it and heard it all the time. Some, some of us from where we come from, we find it very, very hard to say I love you to our, our children, especially our daughters. It should be something you must practice, something you must do. How many men do I have here? How many have daughters? If you are a man and you have a daughter, begin now. Don't even wait for them to grow. Begin to hug them and tell them, I love you, you are pretty. Number, is it six? Number seven, don't be an angry man. Don't be an angry father, an angry man. You are angry. The world is annoying you. When the children are having fun, you get angry. You're always shouting at them. You're making too much noise. Go to your room. You know, I'm thinking. Or, 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 don't, don't translate your stress onto your children. What makes you a father is the, the fact that you can take the bullets of the world and block it so that the home can be peaceful. So you have wounds at your back, but you don't translate it to your children. Uh, am I making sense? Some of us never saw that. We, we never saw fathers who were, even some of us, we never grew with our fathers, but anytime we, we went, uh, we, we, we had contact with them, they made us feel worse. Today, there must be a change. You know, for me, what helped me as growing up without my father in the home was I, I had fathers in church. And they played the role of a father that I am living today. Are you, are you with me? So if you didn't grow up with a father, there are a lot of father figures in the house of God. Make sure you look at them and you copy them. Amen. So don't be an angry father. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in, in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And um, number eight, show them love. Learn to go on a date with your daughter. Especially when they are grown, like now, it's like we set up dates. Let's go out. So they are comfortable in the company of men. If you don't do that, anytime a man takes them out and wines and dines them, they will think that the next thing is that they have to have sex with them to compensate or to pay for what... Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you have... You dole out, you take her on holiday, you spend, you, you know, you, you take her out, glam, glam her up. Another man can't use the same thing to bamboozle her. I don't know whether you understand what I'm trying to say. So, listen, it's a price that you have to pay for the next generation. And um, don't repeat the mistakes you saw growing up. How many saw some mistakes your parents did, especially your father? Give me a wave. You know, your particular criticism of your father 
and being critical and critical of him, if you don't take care, you end up repeating the same thing. What you need to, 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 to do is have empathy for him. He didn't know better. If he had known better, he would have done better. So rather than you um, critis- being critical of him and judging him, no. Learn from his mistake and make sure you don't repeat the mistakes. My father was the, the disciplinarian, disciplinarian and the, the punish, punisher. And so nobody wanted to come. My father and, and asked the conversations, question and answer. He asked a question, you answer. Apart from that, there's no conversation. Are you with me? But, but that is a mistake. Your children must be your friend. Amen. They should be your friend so that they can come to you with any conversation. With my children, there's no conversation that's out of bounds. From sex to whatever. We talk about everything. There's nothing that is out of bounds. And we'll talk and laugh and they'll be there. As old as they are, sometimes when they come to the house, all four of us are in the same bed. And we are all there. We pack ourselves like sardines and we are chatting. We are in the same bed chatting. And we are happy. Because that is the tone that has been set. Hopefully when they also get married, it will be repeated in their married bed. We'll go and lie by them. <laughs> so they just have to tell their spouse that there's a family tradition. If you see my mother or my father walk into this room, it's my fault. And I have caused it. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I think I'm finished. <laughs> we are just about to go into a question answer. I just, I think that how many of us have been blessed so far? I feel like we've gone through, yeah, you know, and it's really good for us to have these times because whether we like it or not, we are all going to find ourselves in one of those places, you know, whichever way. And there are just two things I want to highlight that, you know, Reverend has given us such a positive outlook in terms of having a happy home, a home filled with laughter, a home where we communicate, a home where we set good examples. But there are two things I want us to make sure that will help us maintain that. And I think that maybe, I realize that maybe mother's perspective, the mother, as far as I can see, must be one who can prompt the team that, hey, there are two things. One is that if you are not careful, we can normalize dysfunction. So something that is not functioning well will not function well for so long that in the end, it becomes normal in our household. In fact, as I was thinking about this from the last couple of days, I realized that there's something going on in my house. I'm coming to tell my house business here. I hope when you finish it, you tell your house business. So we have a boiler in the house for six months or more. The bell has not been functioning well. <laughs> I traveled and I was told that, oh, somebody has come, come in to fix the boiler. So when, before I traveled, I was the only one who knew how, even though the boiler was not working, I knew how to manipulate it so that we still get hot water. We'll get, you know, the heating is working. The rooms are warm. We're good. Then when I traveled, I was told that, oh, a boiler, a boiler man has been brought in by the grace of God. We are back on track. 
So, <laughs> so when I came back, ah, I said, the boiler gauge has gone to where it goes. It has failed. You know, it will put an F in there to let you know it ain't working. They said, oh. Ah, the man says that. You remember they just said he came. They said, no, the man says he came, but if he didn't, whatever he did, if it didn't work, then he's sorry. So I showed them what I have been doing all these months, that when you see the F or you see number one or number two, go and turn this this way, turn this this way, let it go three quarters, turn it back down. We are good to go. Oh, so my daughter learned it. My husband learned it. My son learned it. Every day, twice a day, somebody has to go, choop, choop. And then we have hot water, we have heating. As I was writing, don't normalize this function, the Lord said, yes, just like you're heating. <laughs> it has become a normal thing. Nobody has realized that, hey, actually, this is a dysfunction. The boiler is not working. But we have to get a new boiler. But because we have found a way around it for it to work, we are good to go. Everybody, you know, I'm using this as a very ridiculous one. But every home, if you are not careful, you can turn dysfunction and normalize it. And it becomes just the way we do things in this house. Do you understand? So if we insult each other, we just have to make sure we apologize. If we insult each other, we have to make sure at some point we apologize. You are normalizing dysfunction because you should not be insulting each other in the first place to come and, and come and apologize. Do you understand? The children walk out, they are rude, they don't respect. After a while, as parents, you get used to your rude children and then you normalize it. Your parents, you know, you don't have any option. All you do is beat your children, beat your children. The children get used to the beating. You normalize it. You are not careful. You can easily normalize dysfunction. And the home is, grows up with it. It's only a third party who can come in and say, hey, why is there never food in this house? Oh, no, we just have fish and chips every day. Or we do KFC. It is not normal. You understand? Dysfunction, and the next one is burnout. You can burn out as a spouse, and if you are not aware of it, you will mess your home. Every home that has to flourish needs work. But that same work, if you are not careful, you can burn out. Whether it's from your day-to-day -day job, whether it's just raising children, whether it's making money, whether it's cleaning up the house, or the combination of it, if you are not careful, you will burn out. Well-being of the children, of the husband, of the wife must also be prioritized for the home to flourish. Your well-being, emotional, spiritual, physical, must be put at the forefront. When don't you see some of us grew up in a home? I grew up in a home where learn, learn, learn. Have you finished? Learn. Did you finish? Learn. And then it will generate two categories of children. Those who become really clever and those who cannot even read. Those who don't want to know anything about book. You have to make sure that you are careful and mindful that there is peace. You see, when the absence of peace is just the presence of chaos. Nothing flourishes in chaos. So as much effort, you know, when I was reading about burnout, I realized that one of the reasons why that process is a struggle is that most of the time in their home, we put making money as the first thing. 
But making money should not be the first thing. Peace at home and well-being is more important. The Bible says that I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Do, do you get it? You have to make sure that your soul is prospering, your, the family is prospering. But the financial prosperity will come even more when the home, in terms of everything else, is stable. Amen. Joel, Minister Joel is sitting there. Has so, uh, you have questions? Okay. A lot of questions. Okay, you, you only have 10 minutes, so go. So this one is for you, Pastor Kieran. Um, could you talk about how to be a good son when in teenage years going to adult years? <laughs> the best person to answer that question if you want to talk about teenage years. Um, but I do think... Can you say the question again? <laughs> how... Can you be a good son when in teenage years going to adult years? Okay. Be a good son by being honest with your parents, with everything you do. I think that's how to become a good son, be, being very honest in what you're doing. I, you I think that one, one of the things um, that he did was even when he messed up, he was the first to come and say, I messed up. Yeah. And... Um, when you do that, you earn the trust of your parents because mm. they know they can rely on mm. your honesty. Mm. You know, when you hide things, mm. then things fester and becomes yeah. bad. So be honest if you need help. And sometimes it doesn't have necessarily have to be just your parents. You must have a, 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 a father figure. Yeah. Like if you're a teenager, you have uh, Minister Joel. Yeah. He's more like a a big brother is yeah. more like a father figure. Yeah. Be able to trust him and yeah. go to him and say, yeah. um, I'm struggling. I mean, they, they, when they were early preteens, yeah. they had Pastor Richard, Pastor Richard yeah. who was like an elder brother to them, yeah. that they had so much trust. And they could tell him everything. Yeah. When Pastor Richard was not there, yeah. they learned how to open up yeah. to us. And yeah. it's been easy. Yeah. Because That's I don't know why we have this whole thing. Well, again, I can't speak for everybody's father, but for me, there was a little bit of fear at first, the very first conversation. But after the very first conversation, so I guess it's also down to the fathers being able to take such conversations. Yeah. But after the very first conversation I had with my father, I was like, oh, this actually isn't that bad. So then <laughs> more conversations will follow suit as well. So, I think yeah. that, that will be, uh, be a good segue to our next question, maybe for Reverend. How do you discipline a child without exuding excess anger and making them afraid to talk to you? What, what you do is be angry about what they've done and not them. Sometimes what parents do is that they're angry at the child as if the child is the mistake. The child is not the mistake. The child you love has made a mistake. Have you not made a mistake before? So be angry at the mistake and correct the mistake. Your action must be directed towards the mistake rather than the child. So they know that it's the thing they've done that is wrong and not they themselves. Have is I made it, isn't, it? Isn't it also um, strange? Because I think that as parents, sometimes we almost forget that period of our life and we almost forget that as teenagers we had our own issues had our own challenges we're also rude to our parents sometimes 
you know, made, said one or two lies just to escape. And so I think that we also need to put ourselves in the place of the child and then help them from there. Why are they lying about it? Why are they trying to avoid it? Why are they so that gradually you have to build that confidence and that relationship for them to, you know. I think you guys can also jump in when you. So there are two questions here, I think, segueing from that as well. Um, Do you think that it's okay to use corporal punishment on children? Is it okay for your parents to use hard and harsh punishment on you for something you did wrong? Uh, it depends on what you call corporal punishment. I think, I think they are talking about fiscal abuse. Fiscal, like beating. Uh, yeah. I think the season uh, is uh, changing. Uh, 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 for me, there is a season. There is a season. I don't glorify, but I mean, like, I think the last time I remember hitting him was, I think, before. I don't think I was 12 years old. I don't think he was 12 years old. Because after 12, he's, to me, he's, he's, a, he's a man. He's a matured person. So I want to talk to him rather than beat him. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was sure. <laughs> but I even think that, I think that the concept of, like, to beat a child, I think the threat of it should be enough. The use of it, you have to be careful. I think that a lot of parents actually beat their children because they have, they have no tools. And I also think that we live in a society because society will let your child think that, well, if your parent hits you, you can just call, you know, call your, tell your teacher, call social. I told my, my son and I told my daughter, if you tell your teacher I go to jail, I'm coming back, we're gonna continue. <laughs> Don't use that advice, that is not good. <laughs> You know, I, I, because the reality is that the, child, the, the kind of parents who beat their child in a certain way, they are, they are already abusive. Do you understand? And I also think that we live, our parents couldn't take PlayStation from us. We didn't have it. Couldn't take, couldn't uh, uh, time out, whatever, all those kind of things. No, they only had a cane and a belt and the slippers and a sandal. And a towel. But <laughs> for those of us who are parents... For those of us who are parents now, there are a lot of things your children value more than a, a, a smack. So you don't need, the smack, they actually is like, yeah, whatever. So long as they keep their phone and they keep their, and they keep. So you have even greater tools because if you take the phone off them for a few months, they can't breathe. They will not do that thing that made the phone go away from Reverend them. Gloria, Reverend Gloria took You're my not, phone for like seven months. Your phone was taken away from me for seven months. Yeah. That, that thing really pained me. For yeah. Me. <laughs> no, and it's, you don't, it's effortless. Do you understand? Sometimes you even have to return. I mean, I can give examples of where Monday you got into the car late for school. Tuesday you got into the car late for school. Wednesday, Thursday, I left. Friday, he was waiting by the car. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we have to be in the season and the generation we are in and bring up the children. And the other extreme is those people who will not do anything to your child. You won't discipline them. Oh, no, but it's his home. Does he pay the bill? You are spoiling your child. The total absence of discipline will ruin your life in the future. Him not talking to me because I've taking his phone away, has brought him this far. 
don't know what would have happened if I was afraid to take the phone or the whatever. You know, you have to also grade it because my children, they, don't, they didn't like Xbox, PlayStation. PS, PlayStation. If you take those, that's just space. You created more space because <laughs> they don't like it. But then when they discovered phone, that was something of great value. You get it? Yep, so this question has to do with siblings. How do I get closer to my siblings? When I was younger, they ignored me and told me I was a brother. Now they want to be buddies, but I can't forget how it was. You have to, you have to forgive. Or, Reverend Sam, we answered the question. Say, when they were younger, they ignored me and told me I was a brother. But now they want now to they be want buddies. To now that they are much I, I think that is, is a natural thing. It's a natural sibling thing when they are young, especially when they are a lot. When like, you have three, three or four, two tend to be close and they shun one. Or when they are two, they always fight and all that. But you, you, you must grow out of it and learn that it's for life. Your sibling is for life. So you have to develop it so that you will need, uh, you will need each other throughout life. So Why is forgive. Why also faces, isn't it? Yeah. So there's a stage where they are really close. Then the stage where they are trying to find themselves. Don't come into my room. Knock before you come in. Don't they? My friends are here. What are you doing here? And then they get to another place where it's like, can we all go out? You know? So I think that is sort of an up and down. So this is where reconciliation time. So you two relax, okay? <laughs> and then go and make up with your sibling. Like Reverend said, those are the people you have all your life. All your, you know, my sister would drop everything at the, I mean, press of a button. She would take a plane and be here in a moment. But we have had good fights. And I was just telling Reverend about the day we made uh, egg stew, a big <laughs> pot of egg stew. In fact, my sister is a really good cook. So she was, we were about 10 or, no, okay, maybe, no, she was about 12 and I was 11. And she was cooking. I was a supporting act. Bring this, bro. And, you know, my brothers were just walking around, not helping or engaging. And it was lunch time and my mom was awake, you know, and she was cooking and she made the stew. And I mean, the stew looked lovely, smelled nice. It was amazing. And she kept telling my brothers, nobody's having any of this, you know. And then she had lowered it for it to simmer as the yam and rice were also cooking for the stew too. And we were preparing ourselves, you know, for the time that we'll eat and they'll watch us eat. Then she came to me and she said, oh, the oil does not seem to be enough, so add more oil. I went into the storeroom, but there were two bottles. They're both yellowish, both oily looking. <laughs> and then I took one and then... I poured it into the stew, and that was the bottle pa of parazon. No, that was a bottle of liquid soap. You know the lemon lemon liquid soap is also very, yellow. Very liquid. I, this was how many decades ago? It is very pressure. You know, it's, it's still raw and sore. And then the boys came in dancing. And it's like, who's eating now? Who's got food to eat now? Bubble stew. And so, bubble stew. Bubble stew. As soon as I poured it, I saw the bubbles coming. <laughs> you, till today, my brother makes a case out of it. But it was just a, you know, but it still traumatizes my sister and I. <laughs> so please let it go. It's Would you not say that... Um, siblings also mature they don't appreciate the value of a sibling when they are younger 
as yeah. you get older, you recognize that, yeah, it's a very important person to me. So please allow the person to correct their wrongs. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I also want to say, especially if you grew up or you are growing up in a family where the siblings are, it's not like, you know, same parents, you know, like maybe it could be that a step in and all that. I grew up in a family like that. And we're plenty, you know. <laughs> yeah, so th I think that's where you have to be able to accommodate a lot of, you know. I think at some point, those of us that we call ourselves Christians, we should be able to up the standards a bit, you know. Because in a family, you get, especially, you know, the, your brothers and sisters know how to get to you because they are that close to you there. So if you call yourself a Christian, at some point, that to one should also be made manifest in the way, like the way you are talking about, if they were not treating you well, now that you've gotten to understand certain things, certain way, your approach should be different. Yeah. Yep. I think there's a good segue question here. How do I, as the youngest sibling, reach out to my father who left when I was young and bridge the gap between me and my half-siblings? Even though my older brother is close to my dad, how do I bring us closer? I've been told that their closeness is a guy thing, so it seems like there's not much I can do. Oh, there's a lot you can do. I, I would say that even the step you're taking now to think about it and ask a question is a right step in the, in the right direction. Take another step further and reach out to him. Don't expect anything. Don't expect a, a warm embrace so that you are not disappointed. It, but whatever, whatever you, you get, take another step. Go, the more you show love and maturity, the more you win them over. So just keep, keep on going and making the effort to get close. Okay, next question is, as a Christian, I want to forgive my mom as a child, I dealt with too much trauma from here. How do I go about this? I, I want to do a program. That's a good uh, segue to what I want to say. I want to do a program where I want to talk to, especially ladies, young ladies, uh, and it's for talking about trauma we suffered from our parents. Our parents made certain mistakes that has affected us as young people. I want to do a program like that. I don't know who is interested. Yeah, we just have a conversation. So we organize a day and just have a conversation where we can iron some of these things out. Because the, 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 the worry is that you will take the anger into your relationship and perpetuate the, the curse. The generational case. So it's something that I want to do. Uh, okay, Chica, we organize it. So let's get it done. So if you are interested, see her, give her your name, and we'll, we'll get something like that done. I think Pastor Sam just said something that once now that you are saved, you're going to have to walk differently. The Bible says be pitiful. And Reverend said something earlier that their behavior was subject to what they knew and what they also probably saw. So now that you are receiving wisdom and we are even having this conversation, now you should begin to look at them and approach it very differently. Do, do, do you get it? And then you realize that all this also works for your good because your being upset with them takes a toll on you, not just on them. They may also be sad and upset or not care or whatever, 
But your having that mindset weighs on you, mm -hmm. affects your joy, affects your peace, affects your liberty, affects your freedom. So you need to release yourself from that prison and from that stronghold by showing pity and letting go. And letting go means that you are not just saying it doesn't matter, but to the extent to which you can. Because sometimes you may want to restore the relationship, but they may not. But being able to release them to the point where you're okay to send them a gift. You're okay to wish them happy birthday. You're okay to pick them a coin and say, how are you? Just checking up on you. That is your freedom. That is your liberty. That's and right. that is something that you, you, you should desire to do and have to do because you're a child of God. So this question says, I'm the oldest among my four siblings, and they really look up to me, and I love them so much. However, I've noticed that my brother, who is the second oldest, acts very hostile and is isolated and pushes away my other siblings. I've continuously told him about God's word and prayed with him and for him. But what else can I do to ensure that love is prevailing within among my siblings, especially now that I'm not physically present with them since I'm in uni? So it could be that that anger is hiding... Uh, a trauma or is hiding a deep-seated uh, issue. So have, have, find a way to have a conversation, especially when they are in a nice, nice, happy space. Have a certain deep conversation to find out what actually is the root cause of that thing. It could be anything. Thank you. What do you do when the things of God are being used in my family as a means to throw shit and tear people down? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I saw something driving into a church today along the Sunny Road, and I think they were waiting. It was a family. I think they were waiting for their Uber. And then I realized, that, okay, Father is holding his Bible, so obviously they're going to church something. Then I saw their teenage daughter way back, frowned attitude almost like she's been dragged to church and i was like you see parents and i don't even think it had registered on the parents that this child is not going to church to hear anything from the word of god receive from the she's literally obeying a law in the house till they are independent and, and that is such a risk one of the things we should do as parents is that we should point our children to god not to our rituals and our religion and our you know so this question the person is asking is that some those who have become Christians or either parents who sort of see themselves as Christians and we it's like we don't know. It says that by your chaste conversation, you know, that's how you affect them. By how you live your Christian life. You don't even have to tell them you're going to hell if you don't know. No, by the way you live, they will be affected by it. And we cannot enforce faith in anybody. We set the example, we share the word of God. We, are, we expose them to the things of God, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will also arrest them and that they will come to encounter God for themselves and know God. You cannot laugh somebody into salvation. You cannot ridicule somebody into salvation. In fact, it is the love of God that you will show that will let them draw. You know, if you tell your child that you're a bad girl, you're a bad boy, you're going to hell, you know, your pronouncement in itself is... It's a turn off. <laughs> Apostle will hear about this. <laughs> Great. How can I convince my parents to stop trying to control my appearance? Example, tattoos, makeup, piercings, hair, etc. They say I'm not allowed due to cultural reasons. Can we have a conversation, you and me, after church? Come and, come yeah. and see me and let's talk about it. 
Yeah, I, I, you see, the list you have given, some of them, you yourself, you don't know why. I think the, the, sten, the sentence culture reading is what is giving you strength. Because obviously, what do they mean by culture? What culture is that? But the reality of it is that your parents know things you don't know. Your parents have experienced things you don't know. The parent, your parents have walked through things you don't know. But I also want to tell the parents also is that what do you define as culturally appropriate? Your child who's wearing the long maxi and this thing has been sleeping around and comes home and takes the cross and the Bible. So don't be deceived by saying that, don't wear this, this is two days. That does not make your child righteous. They have to come from within out. Another, another thing, the reason why I said that the person should come and see me so we talk is that that wanting tattoo and everything could be a cry for help, a cry for something inside, a love, certain love that you haven't received. Are you, are you with me? So wanting something, wanting, you want a tattoo, you want, you want a piercing, you want, what is it? What's the reason for that? What is it? What's the need for it? Because it's also a question that is... Do they know that when they don't want the tattoo again, the removal of it is even more painful than the... When Apart from that, the scar that it leaves is they, different. They don't have, yeah. Yeah, but, so why do you want to shed blood on your skin? It's, it, but it, if the person can come and see me, we'll have a conversation. I think that parents, let's really, really have this conversation that the world we live in and the environment our children live in we must also be knowledgeable enough to guide them through it. Because as soon as you are so, don't wear this, don't just roll it into their bag. If you go and meet them in the front of school and you see where their skirt is, you can't breathe. But when they are leaving home, the skirt is here. By the time they get on the school bus, the skirt is here. By the time they get the Grange and all the, by the time they get here, the skirt is here. If you like go there during lunch, you will be confused. Like, no, this is not my daughter. I bind it in Jesus' name. Do you get it? Because you have to let your child become confident in who they are rather than want to imitate other people. The reason why they want to wear some funny things is that they've seen others wear it. And the more you say, this is terrible, this is terrible, the more they desire and the more they feel left out. Do you understand? So you should know what is godly, what is not godly, what is right, what is beautiful, what is not. Do you understand? If your child understands that, hey, at a certain stage when you put makeup, those lecturers, men walking around who assume that you are above a certain age, that is why when you are this age and you can, you know, explain to them, just the don't do, what am I don't do? I will do. My lipstick will be in my bag. I shall use it at the right place. I understand it says obey your parents in the Bible, but to what extent must you follow every single instruction, even though you believe you are being led astray? Mm. Paul says that follow me as I follow Christ. So uh, to the point where they go contrary to the word of God, that's when you stop following but if they are in line with the word of God, then you follow. But stop following doesn't mean be rude. You see, don't go and say that you people, you are demons in the house. By the grace of God, I'm saved. Salvation shall appear in this house by all means in Jesus' name. I bind, oh, I plead the blood of Jesus. This is the oil, Reverend Anointed. You get I a slap. And I sprinkle it. <laughs> Do you get it? Now you have to use wisdom. Now that you know that, okay, the advice they are giving you, like moving with your, this thing, why is it? You know, you can see that this one is against the will of God. You don't go and stand in front of them and act funny. My, my you let God it. give you wisdom 
to guide you how to relate okay. to them and manage with them. Our time, you, hurry up. Yeah. I have a fear of not making it because that was certainly the love my parents provided. I'm the oldest of my siblings, so I have to be a role model. How can I quell that fear of not making it? What do you mean by not making it? Not succeeding. Not being, not being successful. So, because your parents didn't make it? No, because that was the love my parents provided. Oh, they are expecting you to do well in life. So you, you are, you are feeling you the pressure to. that if you don't make it, you let you them, down. them down. And, okay. That's real. That's per perfect real. love cast out all yeah. fear. You know, fear is a torment. What you must not allow is fear. You be yourself. Be yourself and do you. Be the best you can for yourself, not necessarily for your parents. So, so long as in your eyes you are better today than you were yesterday, that is it. That's the best you can do. So you do it for yourself and not for anybody else. How do you encourage a child whose career choice you may not support? Sorry? How do you encourage a child whose career choice you may not support? Okay, so I think we had that example. Yeah, so I, I wanted to be a producer. <laughs> I was going to go to Leeds College of Music, actually. One day I was so prepared to drop out of sixth form. Really and truly, it's just chemistry was blowing my head, so I didn't want to do it again. So I came, I held a meeting, I said that from tomorrow I want to go to Leeds College of Music. And my father had a very nice way of going about his life. There's no problem in you doing music, because you, you can do it, but it's like, why not go to university? Why not get a degree? What should in case you need it? Do you know what I mean? And then the way he presented it was more like you just go to uni because going to uni will help you to think more, will help you to process. And then lastly, he took me to all the celebrities that I admired at the time and all the producers that I admired. And he showed me that they actually all had degrees and they all went to uni as well. So I was just like, okay, I, I don't really have any leg to stand on. So yeah, I went back to school the next day. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think, but I think um, as a parent, if you're able to reason out why you're against the choice and, and not even make it a thing, I didn't feel like he was against my becoming a producer. Actually, he has given us a studio downstairs by the grace of God. But it was more of a, why don't you do it this way kind of thing, if, if, if that I, makes sense. I, I'm so. an example of where I did my first degree choice just to please my parents. And I, come, I came to realize that they, they also, my mom and my brother also brought that based on advice somebody had given them. <laughs> you know, so as a parent, I was very conscious of the fact that no, I'm not going to enforce any particular line of career to my children. Why? Because I've grown up to find out that what your child loves the most and can do well is what they will succeed in. You understand? And we shouldn't try to live our lives through our children. I look back now, and I would have loved to be, just be a mathematician. But I can't go and tell any of my children that you, you have to do. It don't do, work. Do, do you understand? But you come to realize that just make sure they are within. Just like the will of God. Do you understand? It's not a specificity, this word, there. But then you know when you are within. So you should give your children boundaries and within that boundaries, encourage them who they want to do. For example, if your child wants to drop out, no. But if your child wants to be, I don't know, whether it's a nurse, 
a pharmacist or whatever, make home for them because they may be the best at that. Do you understand? But if they say, I won't go to school again, that one is no. Do you understand? But when you become so, so I think you should become a gynecologist. You yourself, what are you? That's a question. You get it? So I think that is that idea of, and it's again, it can be traditions. You know, some of us know three things. Engineer. Lawyer. Lawyer. Accountant. Something, something. Yeah. Okay, great. But a lot of lawyers and doctors are broke. Um, yeah. How do I convince my sister that her current boyfriend is not a sensible choice for her? Or should I leave her to crash since wow. experience is the best teacher? But you, to what qualifications do you have to oh, identify? I, I, I think that is very real. I think that is very real. You know, I, I, I've seen that in my, in my kids when one sibling is like... <laughs> and the other can't see it. And it's like, I wish I could go in. And so that is funny. But somehow, they find a way to talk to them. So some find a way to talk to your sibling that this person is no good. I'm sure uh, uh, siblings to sibling, you, there's always a way. I mean, I, I remember uh, one guy that was chasing my sister, and that guy was... That guy... One, he couldn't speak English. <laughs> and two, two you, you, once you see that this guy is, uh, is, uh, he's no good. So when he comes to the, the house, we engage him in English. <laughs> Just to expose. And, and one day, they had, I don't know whether anybody remember, some children drowned in a place in Ghana called Akutolante, and um, this was many, many years ago, and he used to live around that area, so when he came to the house, as soon as I saw him, I said, oh, can you tell us the story about the children that got, so, oh, so, when the plate opened, then the guy, he sell it inside, I said, he did what? <laughs> yeah, he sell it inside, I said, what, what was that? Grindo underground. He was trying. He 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 just he dove inside, but you see, there's a in gun to dive to sell it. So he sell it inside. So it became his name. The selling man is coming, and with the teasing and everything, like that was it. So there there are ways to. I guess if you are close to your sibling. And they trust your judgment. But if they don't try, they look at your choices, your last few choices. What gives you the audacity to come in? I mean, you know? It just reminded me of my cousin who brought the guy. And when they, <laughs> they went to, they, that's why Christian brothers, you have to allow us to train you and teach you. You see, because every day I see my cousin, I feel guilt. My sister and I, we feel guilt. Because at that time, I was very young didn't understand the concept of somebody who's strong in their faith and all that. And she was like a church girl. And this brother that she had met in church who said the Lord had told her, um, him to marry her. And he was like, okay, I have to take you to the family. because. And then Sunday after church, she brings this brother. And we are upstairs and we could see them far from the gate as the brother was walking. The way the brother was walking behind my cousin, I was like, hey, problems. Then when they brought them in and... My sister was like, oh, sit down. So you have the sofa, 
You know that in Africa, the sofas too, they go from... The sofas like are like... For, uh, for, then the guy was at the corner. <laughs> so my son is like, hey, this is your position. <laughs> you know, like, sit down, sit down, sit down. He was sitting at the no, edge of... No confidence. So we went upstairs. So as my mom was coming down, we're like, hey, no, this one, it won't work. So my mom came down, and she had already been polluted by all of us uh, and then she greeted the guy and, she, and talked to him and what did, and then as soon as the guy so my cousin went to see the guy off and came back and we're like hey this brother i mean we didn't understand he's a christian he's a joshua you know he loves god serves god what are those we're like no no and she was like why he said why was he sitting at the edge of the sofa <laughs> so, <laughs> right, and so. till today she's not married Oh. <laughs> she ended up going to get a journalist from South Africa, handsome man. We were like, yes, you know. And then she got pregnant, had a baby. Right, Before she could have the baby, the man had disappeared. To today, we don't even know if it was real, if it was actually a human being. So please, siblings, also be careful that you don't go and make that kind of mistake and judge based on looks or, you know. My mom said many bad things over my life when I was a child, and now I can see them manifesting. How do I deal with it, especially when prayers don't seem to work? Come for prayer. Come for deliverance. You need deliverance because the words of your parents are powerful. Yeah. yeah. Even when they are unbelievers and they speak, it comes to pass. So. Yeah. My parents don't hey, give you me... you have more questions? Yeah. How many? We'll leave the rest yeah. and one more, and then one, we'll continue. Okay. We'll yeah. finish next week. We'll finish now. Okay. So, um, how do I raise three kids without a dad? Whether the dad is in a different country, how do you maintain to love them every day? Uh, come again, I didn't hear. How do you raise three kids without a dad when the dad is in a different country? How do you maintain to love them every day? So, that is why we have a family here. So, there are a lot of young and old and middle-aged father figures that you can employ. So make them part of your children's lives and they will do, like I said, with me, my father was never there, but I had father figures in the church and they, they raised me up. I also think you can get help from, you know, and that's why some of these uh, departments and groups you have I don't see why, what is the sisters there for? Mm. Because a sister should come to your aid to help babysit or to take the kids off you or to give you time out or to, you know. So I think this is a really good question and a really good thing to prompt us that we should all do more because this is the reality of the life and the, and the world we live in now. It is not easy to raise children even when both father and mother are there, let alone when you are having to do it on your own, and probably if you're also working and everything else. So we should also be conscious and mindful of that, and where we can step in to help do it, if it's just to take the children off for the weekend, or take them out, or do whatever, you know, to help that parent, because you are not superwoman. If you don't, I just spoke about burnout, if you don't take care, you take it out on your children. So get help, and come and ask. And if there are people you relate with, you should be able to do that. 